to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be here with you. We're going to cover puppy raising right from the start here. And although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is my first time raising a puppy too. And I'm right in the trenches with you guys on the good, the bad, the cute, and the stinky. So today we're talking to Sarah Streming of the Cognitive Canine about crating. So crate training is a really common way to prevent normal puppy behavior like chewing or having accidents. And Sarah teaches a course called Happy Crating through the pet program over at Fenzie Dog Sports Academy. We'll include a link to that course in the show notes. Um, and Sarah is also raising an adorable little Icelandic sheepdog puppy named Raya right now. Sarah also shares her life with Felix and Iggy, two Border Collies, as well as her partners, Australian Shepherd and four more Border Collies. Sarah's business specializes on helping dog sport competitors through behavior concerns, and she's also the brains behind the Four Steps to Behavioral Wellness, which we'll touch on in this episode. Before we start, I have to mention that this podcast is supported by our members on Patreon. So for as little as three bucks a month, you can support this podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. Sign up over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So let's get to it. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Kayla. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. And, you know, we were talking right before we get on that you and I are both kind of in the throes of crate training and realizing, you know, some of the gaps uh, between what we tell people and what we suggest and then what we actually do. So this is very timely for both of us. Um, So let's kind of start out with, like, I think a basic question that sometimes people don't necessarily ask, which is, do puppies need to be crate trained? I'm going to say there's not a universal answer to that. My puppy definitely needs to be crate trained. (laughs) Um, I think it just, just like everything else we do in training, it depends really heavily on your goals. What do Mm -hmm. you actually need this dog to do for your life? One of the things my dogs do is they go to uh, dog sport competitions and they need to be created during downtime at those. And they also travel and they need to be created during travel. So it's important for my dogs long-term, but I just also can't actually imagine raising a puppy without some confinement. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. And I think one of the things that I know I've found with Niffler is, you know, our ultimate goals are similar as far as you know, he's going to need to be crated while we travel or at the vets or dog shows. Um, But we also are just using a ton of confinement for like my sanity. I cannot imagine puppy raising without having a way to just kind of put him away and turn, turn off that part of my brain and actually focus on whatever it is that I'm doing. I think it's one of the bonuses of puppies over human babies (laughs) <laughs> you don't actually just get to put a baby in a crate with a Kong and go to a movie. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so I hear, yeah, that's it, what I'm told anyway, is that that's frowned upon. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a lot more expensive because um, you do have to get sitters all I've the heard time. It's, I've heard it's more expensive <laughs> for a long time, too. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I am so glad that I don't have to start saving for Niffler's <laughs> college yet. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. For sure. Um, so, you know, and, and then the other thing that I like to think about with crate training as well is, you know, what other alternatives may exist as ways to get similar goals across? So say someone doesn't need to crate their dog for travel or doesn't want to go to dog shows. What other options may they have for confinement beyond actual crate training? Yeah, so my puppy is actually in a crate crate, rarely. She's in an expo more often. And I encourage people to kind of set up a puppy pen for their daily use. And it's actually part of my happy crating protocol is that they're not in a box all the time. They're, they get more space most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, you know, like my sister has dogs that just consistently kind of rebel against being crated. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always joke about whose problem that actually is, but um, (laughs) she's really successfully used baby gates. So Mm -hmm. you can baby gate off a bathroom or a kitchen, usually really easily, um, obviously depending on your house layout and create just a space for the puppy. And I would say I do all of the above. So she's got an X-Pen mm-hmm. in my office where I am most of the time. And then I've also got the kitchen gated off so that when I'm in there, because that's kind of the other part of the house I'm in a lot of the time, she's 
she can just be penned in there with me. So there definitely are alternatives that will get you the same results if you don't actually need the dog to be comfortable in a crate itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know I've been, yeah, the, the pen is a total lifesaver and it for me has also alleviated a lot of guilt and I don't want to just be closing my puppy in a box sure. all the time, but for I also sure. really need him to be contained a lot of the time. So, you know, how how can you kind of start using that that pen or how do you use that as part of your happy crating protocol to move towards actual crate training if that's the goal? So I'm going to just, first of all, give a shout out to really excellent breeders because my breeder already had kind of pens set up for the litter. So they're kind of used to being in what I call just X-Pen Disneyland. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I set up X-Pen Disneyland so that the puppy um, has this kind of highly enriched environment to be in, which is her pen. My, my ideal situation is that the pen is the more highly enriched environment than everything else. So like the rest mm-hmm. of the space is kind of picked up. There's nothing sitting out um, that she can kind of get into, but there's a lot of really fun stuff and rotating stuff that she can get into that when she's in the pen. And then I will do um, creating during sleep times only at first. So mm-hmm. having the pen allows me to do that. So that when she is awake, like right now she's in the pen and she's chewing on a bully stick and she's got a lot of other options in there of things to do. But um, that's kind of, you know, when I know that she's not actually going to take a nap right now, I don't Mm want to put her in the crate because I want them to learn that the crate is a place for sleeping. Mm -hmm. And so I crate them overnight and I put the crate elevated right next to my bed so that it's almost Mm -hmm. like they're in the bed with me. And Thus far doing that, I've not had fussy puppies overnight. It's trying to yeah. create them away from me or even just on the floor that they are, they can be fussy um, at night. And then it's just, if I notice that she's sleepy, if I notice <laughs> that she might be ready to take a nap, I will just put her in the crate. Um, and yeah. I won't, and I try not to have the crate be isolated during that time. So, um, a lot of people will do, and I sometimes recommend this, my X-Pen's not really big enough for it, but you can put a crate inside the X-Pen mm-hmm. and have that be the actual only comfy place to lie down. So you don't have anything mm-hmm. else that's squishy like a bed anywhere else in the X-Pen. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crate itself has the bed in it. And you can just, you can kind of carabiner or zip tie the crate door open to the X-Pen so the puppy can come and go. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got kind of Disneyland in the pen and then a really nice squishy place to sleep in the crate that's in the pen because I tend to be with my puppies a lot. Um, like if I weren't, that's exactly what I would do. And I would mm-hmm. probably also set up a potty area in the pen. If I, if I needed, if yeah. I had the kind of job that I needed to leave her for several hours, I would have the crate door tied open with the nice cushy bed in there. I'd have Disneyland and then I would have a potty pen area. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't have to do that. Um, I just kind of whisk her into the crate when she's going to take a nap, like you might a mm-hmm. baby, right? So like you might, a toddler might crash out on the couch and you take them to their bed and you put them in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they learn that the crate is a place to sleep and they learn it early on. Yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think in our show notes, I'll I'll include a photo at least of my setup for Niffler, which does have kind of, I've got a, a big gate setup that has a crate on the inside. And um, we might even try to get some photos of a couple different types of setups. Yeah, um, I can send some over to yeah, you. Yeah, well. that would be great. And just kind of get a bunch of ideas for people going because, you know, not everyone has the same home layout where um, things are going to work well for them. Um and uh, yeah, I think more examples are always helpful. So what are some of the problems that you're hoping to prevent with crate training or confinement? You know, how how is it helpful? You know, we've mentioned that we neither one of us thinks we could do puppy raising without it, but why is that? <laughs> okay, so the problems that you prevent would be chewing stuff that you don't want chewed is kind of mm-hmm. is a big one. Um, yeah. You know, I'm if she were loose in my office, there's all sorts of cords that she could chew through. And not only is that kind of dangerous for her, but it's expensive for me to replace. Um, 
furniture. They like to chew wood furniture. It's just a normal thing for them to want to do. And then house training for me is mm -hmm. so much easier if you can combine them to a space because they naturally do not want to relieve themselves in the place that they kind of live and sleep. They want it to be somewhere else. And so if you make that space smaller, they're less likely to just decide, well, over in this corner doesn't really count and I can go over here. Mm -hmm. um, as well as, you know, I've got, as you mentioned, a few adult dogs around here <laughs> that, <laughs> that um, need a break from her. And then I can prevent conflict between her and the adult dogs. Um, mm -hmm. Let's see. Just, uh, she also uh, likes to bite me in the back of the calves when she's bored. So, you know, <laughs> preventing that from becoming, <laughs> becoming More of a, strong, habit. a strong habit. Um, it is the time of year that I like to just wear Ugg boots all the time in my house, which I don't know if you know this, but Ugg boots are like the best thing for a puppy to bite. So... Yeah, they're kind of like a bite sleeve. Mm. Um, they're basically, I'm like, yeah, dog toys, expensive dog toys are just like this. <laughs> are yeah. just like this. So <laughs> I think you can prevent so many things. And basically, you know, we're trainers, right, Kayla? So we yeah. are always looking at behavior. We're always looking at shaping the future, right? We're always thinking, what are the behaviors that I want to cultivate? And I think an average pet owner is not doing that all the time. Yeah. Um, which, you know, they're probably mentally healthier than us, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> we don't need to go, down, go there um, too deeply. But so when we, we are thinking like that, we might be constantly micromanaging them if yeah. they weren't actually confined, which produces problems for your relationship later. And then an average person who isn't going to micromanage them is going to have all these problems that I already mentioned, like chewing inappropriate stuff, pestering the adult dogs and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I know one of the other things I've noticed is I think I would have a hard time letting Niffler sleep as much if he were loose all the time because he's so darn cute and I want to go over and love on him and then I wake him up. Um, yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. And like just having this place where I can kind of put him and he's going to sleep. I'm not going to bother him. The other dog's not going to bother him. He's not going to bother either of us. I've been really surprised with how little nipping um, and kind of like puppy tired temper tantrum stuff mm -hmm. we're dealing with. And I think a lot of that is because it's really promoting a lot of good sleep for him. I think so. I think, again, that's something that average families deal with in excess a lot of times is um, tired puppy biting because the puppy's mm -hmm. not given quite enough downtime. I will say Rhea is my bitiest puppy I've ever had to date, but wow. I've only, I've only had border collies for the last 20 years. So I think there's a breed mm -hmm. difference for sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I also find that it increases drastically when she is choosing not to settle down herself um, mm -hmm. So that is a cue to me also to put her in the crate because it is telling me that she needs a nap when she's doing that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that I'm glad you mentioned the breed thing because one of the things that I know, and I think you and I have actually talked about this before, but the downside of so many of us professional dog trainers being so enamored with border collies <laughs> is there are so many solutions or trends that we may see with our own dogs that don't track quite as well with some other breed groups. Um, Definitely. I think the the upside of that is that they're very weird. So we get a lot of experience with a lot of problems <laughs> yes. and how to solve a lot of problems. But the downside is that the solution to the problems is certainly not always the same. Um, but we do feel like rock stars, I think, when we get to train like your a really average kind of normal dog. Like I raised yeah. another puppy um, last year for my sister and it was a pug Boston mix. And I was like, man, if these were the dogs I had, my ego would be way too big. She is a piece of cake. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the border collies and the like, I mean, yeah, I, I, I often talk to people about how smart dogs are so much harder in a lot of ways yeah. because it just takes so many fewer reps for them to learn a pattern. And if that's not the pattern you were trying to teach them, <laughs> you can get it in fast. Very true. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, especially I've been surprised how not bitey Niffler is. And some of that I'm sure is some of the training setups and whatnot that I've been giving him. But it's also the fact that, you know, he's not a golden retriever. He's not a Malinois. Mm-hmm. He's not mm-hmm. a, a bully breed of any sort. You know, he's just he's yeah. not all that mouthy. He wants to yeah. chase things. It but. doesn't tend to be one of their problems. Yeah, Which is it's not their amazing biggest because they have yeah. a lot of other ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. So one of the other things I like to kind of, whenever someone comes to me and they say like, okay, I want to work on crate training. I say, okay, great. What are some of your goals? How do you think about um, goal setting uh, when you're helping someone through crate training or any of these sorts of confinement related things? So because of my clientele, which is typically sport dog people um, rather than kind of average pet homes. The biggest issue that I'm asked to help with in this regard is that the dog cannot crate quietly while exciting things are going on outside of the crate. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially if the dog is waiting to do something really exciting, like run agility. Mm -hmm. So everybody I know in agility wants their dog to crate quietly ringside while they wait to run. Everybody wants that. There's a reason so many people struggle with it. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to, I do this early conditioning of sleep in the crate. Mm-hmm. If you take your four month old, six month old puppy to agility foundation class and throw them in the crate. Are you helping them sleep in the crate? I'm going to say no. So, um, when we put them in situations, and this is something that I come back to with creating, I come back to this with all of my training, to be honest, but with creating one of the hardest concepts for people to grasp is that in order to have success with this, you can't ask them for things that they aren't capable of yet. Mm -hmm. They do not learn how to do it right by doing it wrong. So it is often the the misunderstanding is that simply experience and exposure will teach them the right thing. And when it comes to something that is as unnatural as quietly waiting their turn in a box while amazing things are happening outside, that is just not going to work for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I will not have Rhea in a crate anywhere near agility until I am confident that she can be in a crate near agility. Mm-hmm. And that kind of blows people's minds, Kayla, because they're like, but how do you know if you don't do the thing, if you don't put them in the thing, then how do you know that how they're going to happen <laughs> in the thing, right? And, um, and the way that you know is you slowly, you expose them to approximations of that big thing systematically enough that you go, you know what? Yes, I think she can handle this. Mm-hmm. And the day that I say, I think she can handle this and I ask her to handle it. I am listening to her response. I am watching her response. And if she says, actually, you're wrong, I can't handle this yet. <laughs> out of that environment, she goes immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's really tough for people. And what that means is that I take a long time to achieve that. I don't expect it. I don't expect it even necessarily by the time she's competing. Yeah. If she she competes around two years of age, um, she's going to be car crated at that time. So my first goal is relax in the car crate. No matter what's going on. Um, And then I'm just going to, it's, it's going to be so slow. And I actually teach it through stationing, not through crating. So I teach them to actually wait on a thing because it is a different skill. Um, mm-hmm. you have to wait quietly then, then to just go in here and relax. They aren't actually yeah. going to relax if they're anticipating agility or, or whatever yeah. else it is. So I think I'm going on a tangent here, but, um, I teach it through stationing. I teach it so slowly and so systematically to try to make sure that it never becomes an issue. And she's already showed me, um, if she was, she was actually the other day starting to wake up in the X pen and Felix came over and needed a hug as he does sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she got so mad and like hit the bars and was like, ah! and I was like, Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, 
we have we're opinions. Gonna have, we're going to have opinions about me paying attention to another dog, especially if you're confined. Okay. Note to self, something we need to deliberately make a plan for rather than just keep doing. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I don't even remember what you asked me for, but basically, <laughs> basically most of my client's goal is that. Mm -hmm. And my biggest take home is you don't get it by doing it. You get it by doing other things that approximate it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that applies to whatever goal you may have, but I think what, what you highlighted that's really important here is that, so your clients, their main goal generally is being quiet in a crate ring side. And that is a little bit different from, you know, a client who wants to be able to create their dog while they're at work or mm -hmm. create their dog on an airplane when they fly mm -hmm. to do whatever after the pandemic. Um, <laughs> after times when we go back on planes. Yes. yes. One day in 2029. <laughs> yeah. Who knows when the after times are, but um, it is different, but I, and it is taught different. It's taught mm -hmm. differently. Um, yeah. But it's always approximations. It's always, yeah. so if airplane creating is actually one of the things that mm -hmm. I like my dogs to be comfortable with. Um, it's very individual. I think that's something that can't totally be prepared for. So if I don't think they're stable yeah. enough to do it, I just don't do it. Some of my dogs are too sound sensitive. It's just not going to yeah. happen. Um, Icelandics tend not to be sound sensitive. It's actually one of the things that attracted me to the breed. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, hopefully she could do that. So what, so things that she's going to need to learn are that sometimes crates move when you're in them. Mm -hmm. And the first approximation of that is usually just riding in the car in the crate. Yeah. And so she's done, she's literally ridden in my car in a crate every single day since I've had her. Mm -hmm. She is now very peaceful about that. Um, and you know, then later we're going to do some shaping of jumping into the crate that I have that's on wheels that we take to the airport mm -hmm. and you can jump in and it might move a little bit and then you jump out. And before it's ever a crate, it's approximations of that. It's getting on a wobble board, right? And then it's getting into a box that's on a wobble board. So it's in a thing on a thing that's moving, but it's not a crate, right? So we're going yeah. approximations, approximations. What are the prerequisite skills and how can I teach the prerequisite skills before I actually put the dog in this situation? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, and that applies as well to, you know, the really basic, like, I just want to be able to leave my dog in a crate while I go to the grocery store. Okay. Yes. Can your dog hang out in the, in their entire pen quietly and calmly while you go to the bathroom? Because if they yeah. can't, if they can't wait while you're in the bathroom, yeah. then you're already no to go to the grocery store. Yes. Yeah. And this is, I think one of the things, you know, I know a lot of us trainers are very worried about the upsurge of separation anxiety that we're all biting yes. our fingernails about post pandemic. But one of the things that I actually think is really cool about raising a puppy during the pandemic is that we have the opportunity to take these really careful stepwise approaches. Um, I just got a job offer yesterday at our local Humane Society that is going to be four 10-hour days a week. Um, I've been unemployed the whole time I've had Niffler and I'm like, oh gosh, I now have like two weeks <laughs> to try to get my puppy up to yeah. being able to have a midday potty break and that's it. Um, yeah. And I think that is much more normal for most people pre-pandemic and will be again post-pandemic. But if we're smart about it, between now and the end of the pandemic, we can take these really careful stepwise yes. approaches for people who may not have had the privilege of having a job that allows that otherwise. Um, yeah. And I think um, by and large, we get away with a lot with dogs. Most of the time they don't develop separation anxiety. Most of the time. Yeah. When they do though, it is debilitating and it is, yeah. It is not a risk I'm personally willing to take having worked through it once before. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just, I'm not, it's, it's you guys, it's hell. Like don't put yourself yeah. there if you can avoid it. And here's how you avoid it. Approximations. Mm -hmm. So certainly, um, Rhea, if I were to leave her alone, alone for a long time, especially if she wasn't sleeping, especially if she wasn't tired, I think she'd have some distress crying over that because I think that's normal, actually. Yeah. Um, so what we're doing is small approximations of being alone, alone every day because she's almost always with other dogs. So that doesn't even count. So 
right away when she first got here, she was a little upset being only with them because she didn't know them. And so we had approximations towards being alone with them. And now we're having approximations towards being alone alone while I run to the mailbox or take out the trash or whatever. Um, It's important to actually teach them the skill of being relaxed about being alone because there's nothing normal about expecting that right out the gate of a baby mammal. A baby mammal knows that if it's alone, alone, it's in danger. And so the distress crying is really normal. And the distress crying is, in my opinion, um, not healthy to allow to continue on to just kind of extinguish. Yeah. Which is certainly what is recommended by a lot of trainers and a lot of good trainers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that were it. And the reason is, like I said a second ago, it works enough of the time. Yeah. When it doesn't work, you have separation anxiety on your case on your hands. And in my opinion, it's not a risk I'm willing to take. So I don't know. Do absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I think this is one of the other threads I wanted to pull on a little bit and you've, you've mentioned it. So now we're going to jump on it is you specifically said if you left her alone when she wasn't ready to be sleeping. So yeah. let's talk about like meeting your puppy's needs. We can talk about the four steps to behavioral enrichment and like making sure that our puppies are actually in the right mental state to work on the skill that we need them to work on. So important, right? Obviously, this is my thing. So if you know me at all, everybody, you know, this is my jam. Four steps to behavioral wellness, um, which are exercise, enrichment, nutrition, and communication. The exercise and enrichment pieces are really, really huge when it comes to teaching them to tolerate being alone or being confined. Um, If you think about it... If you think about confinement the way that I think we've forgotten to think about it for dogs, we think we we were taught this honestly lie that they will enjoy their crate because they naturally want to bed down in a den. Mm-hmm. That is that is true. They do want to bed down in a den. There's nothing about a den that is a cage. So yeah. door open. That's why there's a lot of dogs that will go sleep in their crate with the door open. But the second you close it, you got a problem on your hands. Yeah. Um, so understand that, think of it as confinement. That is what it is. Yeah. And now think of how do we make sure that their needs are so fully met that they can tolerate some confinement. So the exercise piece is a major soapbox for me. People are scared to exercise puppies. Um, I happen to be with a sports medicine veterinarian. So I feel very confident in saying, cause this is straight from her mouth. The puppies need exercise and that all of the kind of arbitrary rules that are floating around there. Like I heard, what did I hear? A minute of exercise per week of life at a time is one that I just heard recently. So that would mean that Rhea should only get 12 minutes of exercise at a time. I am Mm -hmm. here to tell you, I would get nothing done if that was the only exercise she got. My God. Yeah. Do they like, is that 12 minutes an hour? Is that 12 right? And so minutes, that's my question like, is what do you mean? 12 minutes per what? Right. Yeah. I'm like 12 minutes per 30 minutes. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. We can probably handle that. Yeah. So they, they need exercise. And I am of the opinion that they need free, free movement exercise. And actually mm-hmm. Leslie, my partner would also, she also agrees with that, that we, yeah. um, that they need to be allowed to move their body freely marching them around on concrete on a leash not so healthy yeah um romping romping around in the um backyard i've got about an acre fence that she goes out on and then i also take her to the woods with my other dogs um and you watch them when they tell you they're tired they're done and they tell you they're tired by either plopping down and observing the world, depending on their temperament, or biting your Ugg boots. It just depends on what dog <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> um, exercise is really, really big. And then enrichment is huge. So enrichment yeah. meaning the space to um, express species-specific behaviors, meaning chewing, 
foraging, sniffing. These are all doggy things that dogs need to do, especially that chewing one. If you give them a bunch of just rubber indestructible things, they're going to rip up your carpet. Like they need to destroy things. They actually need <laughs> to eviscerate stuff. Yeah. Um, as I'm watching your puppy behind you, Chua Kong. It's really nice. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, he's tossing it in the air. And <laughs> he's throwing it around. He's choice. enjoying himself. It's great. <laughs> yeah. And so providing enough enrichment, like my puppies lead, my dogs really, but my puppies especially lead really, really enriched lives so that they're just, they are satisfied. They aren't yeah. seeking that stuff elsewhere. So they're not going into my closet to rip up my shoes and they're not barking at me and they're not digging up the carpet and they're not doing those things because they live in Disneyland. Like they've got stuff to do all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's rotating stuff to do. And those are the two really big pieces. I do think if your nutrition piece is not there, you are going to notice because the puppy's going to need to go outside more often. They're going to need yeah. to go outside too often for you to humanly be able to handle it if their nutrition piece is not there. Um, and then of course, communication, we're always, always working on that. So, and I feel like that's what both of our other podcasts are entirely about. Yeah. <laughs> so I won't go too deep into that, but um, the enrichment piece can be really, really helpful as far as, you know, if you lived in one room most of the time, what needs to be in that room for that to be okay? You mean like hypothetically during a pandemic and living yeah. in a, a, a single room cabin? Um, <laughs> that's that's yeah. Um, hypothetically, hey, well, like you're literally living in. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I need my dogs. I need my laptop and I need Harry Potter books. You do. And your laptop specifically <laughs> affords so many opportunities for oh my gosh. But Now we have Netflix and now we have, you know, social media. And now it, there's, there's so much to do with that laptop. And so when we think about it as a dog, you know, what do you got to put in that box for them to be okay being in there? It yeah. can't just be barren. Yeah. And again, when we have our, our show notes with all the, the photos of puppy pen setups, we'll, I think that'll give people some good ideas. And I know in our, oh gosh, one of our recent episodes, the preparing for bringing a puppy home episode, which should come out February 5th, um, we kind of talk through a bunch of different things to set up in there, but you know, we can go over it again here. So Sarah, what are some of the things that you have in your like puppy pen creating area to help make sure that it is Disneyland for Raya? Well, one really important piece is that I change it all the time. Mm -hmm. So I change it every few days. So it's not the same. Um, but I'm just going to look at it and tell you. So we've got, I have a licky mat that is attached to the X-Pen, to the side of the X-Pen by a carabiner. And I will just smear some canned dog food in that. Um, I usually do that in the afternoon. Like she'll go, I'll kind of have a break from work and I'll take her outside. Um, she may get a little bit of training. And then as far as she's concerned, she doesn't need to go back in the X-Pen at that time. So I up the enrichment at that time. And one of the ways I do that is I smear the canned food in the licky mat. I put obstacles up to get to the licky mat also. So I put inflatable kind of fitness equipment for her to climb on, or I might put a box that's got both ends cut out that she has to walk through to get to it. Like I make it not just perfectly accessible that all she has to do is walk over there. Yeah. Um, I also have a tug toy that is hanging in there and she will just kind of lay under it and bite it and hang on it. Um, I have a snuffle mat, I have a snuffle ball, I have numerous toys. Right now she's playing with one of those ones that's like, it's a bunch of little chipmunks that fit inside. Oh, like a those stump. are so great. It's so cute. She pulls them <laughs> out. It's so cute. Um, she got a bone, she's got a bully stick. She has, and then the other thing that I do that I get a little bit of grief about from certain other um, friends of mine who are trainers um, <laughs> is I give her trash. I give her, she's got a LaCroix box in there and <laughs> she's got, and she's got, um, I took brown packing paper out of my, I think it was just my chewy.com box. Uh, I'm like dropping all these brands. Sorry. Um, no. and put them through, I stick them through a holy roller ball. So that's like a rubber toy, a rubber ball toy uh -huh. with holes in it. So I thread brown packing paper through that. She gets a lot 
of enrichment out of that. And it's not even food. She just likes to pull on the paper and bite at it. So I do, um, I do trash. I do stuff for her to climb on up over. I always think, I always tell everybody with your puppies over, under, through. These are all things that they should be doing. And if you can produce those behaviors um, without your intervention, they really learn how, how smart they are about lose, using their own bodies. Um, I really do like the lick mat hanging. And then she also will get various different shoes, but meals from hard rubber toys. So like your puppy's got a Kong right now. Every <clears> morning <throat> she eats her breakfast frozen from a topple. And that gives me some peace um, in there. So it's just a constant rotation of things. And I'll send you um, those pictures of some of the different setups mm-hmm. I've done so that people can see them. Yeah. Yeah. I've been really enjoying seeing all of your different setups. And honestly, I don't think you mentioned anything or you, I don't think you missed anything that I have. Um, so that, yeah, that's a great overview for people. It's also just kind of fun for me. Yeah, yeah. No, and I'm I, I'm right there with you on the like the trash recycling um shredding. Yeah. I got that idea from you and my my seven year old isn't super into shredding or destroying stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, that was trained out of him at some point. Mm-hmm. Um but oh my gosh, the puppy loves it. Um They and- love it. And junk mail is a thing. So yeah. use it throw it in there. I will sometimes put on top of her crate, I'll literally put a cat. I've got a catalog the other day. I'm like, why are catalogs ever being sent out still? Um, And I just like put some of the pages down through the top. And so now she's like making curtains with the pages um, through the crate. And the concerns are that they're going to get into your trash and ruin it. Or they're going to be addicted to paper shredding and you're not going to be able to have any of your paper be safe or just that they make a mess. The third one is the only one that's true. Yes. And in in that case, I just, when it starts to bother me visually, I pick it up. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, my dog, the adult that does not care to shred things is my Mm -hmm. trash monster. So, um, yeah, interesting (laughs) with mine too. My, I, I just have locks on my trash, but that's my life. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I mean, I think, gosh, I mean, almost every dog I know who digs in the trash, it's a food scent thing. It's a food thing. Totally a food thing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So let's, you know, we can, I think we'll start out and I think you've got a ton of great information on helping teach your puppy to like going into the crate. And then one of the things that I think most people struggle with more is actually building duration with the crating behavior. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on how you go from, you know, so, okay. So you can get the puppy into the crate and you can maybe get the puppy to sleep in the crate if the puppy's already sleeping, but how do you actually build duration when maybe the puppy isn't sleeping or, and you know, we might be talking older dogs here, but I'm rambling. Go ahead and answer the question. That's okay. So as far as actually entering the crate, that's kind of a behavior that needs to be trained. Mm -hmm. Entering and exiting are the only behaviors I actively train surrounding the crate because I don't want them to learn it's a working space. I want them to always think it's a relaxing space. And I've got the kind of dogs that as soon as I click and treat to do with anything, they're like, well, what else can I do? And how extra can I be? And I do not want extra. I want go in and be in. Yeah. So the first thing I do is I just toss food in and they go in and then I toss food out. And I'm not actually closing the door in this situation early on. Early on, it's just toss food in, toss food out. When they start to read the pattern, they'll start to head in before you tossed food in. That's your moment. That's your moment to mark and reinforce. And when I do that, I mark and I actually, uh, I might feed them in and then toss food out. Um, And then I'm going to build that duration just with the door open by when they choose to go in, I'm going to mark and I'm going to reinforce several times in the crate. And then I'm going to say my release word because they're going to come out as soon as I stop feeding. So say my release word, they come on out. That's the only kind of active training that I do. Um, I also just, I just shape the entering of the crate or the pen behavior with routine as well. So I get Rhea's breakfast Kong 
and she knows we're going to the X-Pen for it. And because she wants the breakfast Kong, she'll head there. And then I open it and I put the breakfast Kong inside and then she goes in and I close it. Um, when she starts running in on her own, cause she isn't yet, she isn't yet until she sees me put the thing in there. Then I'm going to add a cue to that behavior, but I'm going to wait yeah. until she starts to do it on her own. Um, the duration piece. I like to teach this through boredom therapy. <laughs> so number one is that for the first little while, they're only in there when I know they're tired. Yeah. But pretty quickly, I start to introduce the concept of you're just in there and nothing is happening. Mm -hmm. When I do that, they still always have something in there. There's always something to chew or something. Like it's never actually just barren. But yeah. um, I do something that I call uh, mommy's busy, which is where I create you. And then I don't leave, but I do something else. Yeah. And that stemmed from the fact that all of my dogs have gotten duration crating in the car while I'm driving very quickly. Yes. Yeah. I believe that is because I am not far and I'm actively doing something else. Yeah. And you're not doing anything that's tempting. No, I'm not doing anything that they might be interested in. So I put them in the crate and then I put the dishes away or I put them in the crate and I fold laundry. Mm -hmm. And these are times when they are satisfied, but awake. So like I, their needs have certainly been met, but they're not necessarily going to take a nap. And now they're just, I need to fold laundry. I'm going to put a crate in that room, put the puppy in it, fold laundry right next to them. I'm not looking at them. I'm not talking to them. I'm just folding laundry. Mm -hmm. um, just like I'm driving a car. Yeah. And then I'm going to do, um, I'll also just crate them and sit next to the crate and watch TV or look at my phone or read a book. Um, like I very rarely get to just sit down and watch television just in my life. Mm -hmm. And I, I say that like, it's a hardship, but like, it's just hard for me to do. So <laughs> <laughs> I was watching TV um, the other night and I put Raya in the crate next to the chair I was in and just watched TV. And it was just a mommy's busy situation of you're in there and she was a little bit like why do I have to be in here you're there and then she's like okay fine and she just kind of is like all right and it's again it's just you're this is just your circumstance sometimes mm -hmm. I'm not going to allow you to pan you're not going to panic yeah I'm right here I'm not going to leave and nothing else is going to happen if she is a little yeah. fussy, I'll put my fingers through the crate. I won't look at her or talk to her, but I just put my fingers through the crate to let her know I'm there. She might chew my fingers a little bit and then lay down. It's, it's kind of just me saying like, we're just doing this. Mm -hmm. And it has been extremely effective even for adult dogs to just have it just be a circumstance that yeah. I haven't trained. I'm not trying to train you to do anything. I have no luck, no success with trying to use like a food robot to teach dogs to settle in a crate. No. If, if you do, fine, great, good for you, high five. I have zero luck with that because the second there's a contingency to get food in play, my dogs just become extra, like I said. Like they're just, and what else can I do? And do you notice how hard I'm relaxing right now? Maybe I try the other hip, right? So like... <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want that. I want true relaxation. Yeah. Which comes from just the desensitization, which is what I'm talking yeah. about. The games, the mommy's busy, um, is just, it's just straight up desensitization. Well, and I love the differentiation you made there between what we might call like a pacifier. So Kongs, Licky Mats, um, mm -hmm. one of my current favorites is that, uh, it's called a Diggs Groove. Have you heard of this? No, but I need to know about yes, it. Yes, you do. Um, so I'm going to show it to you, which is not helpful to our listeners. But it slots into your wire crate. So it's kind of like a paddle shape. I think thing. I heard you talking about this recently. Yeah. And it comes with a cute little, like, popsicle holder. So you can, like, smear peanut butter on it and then yeah. freeze it really easily. And it doesn't get I'm messy. That. I'm getting one of those. Um, yeah, they're awesome. But anyway, there's a difference between kind of these things that are like non-contingent, long form, mm. the bully sticks, the Kongs, the topples, and then something like a food robot or trying to drop food into the crate yeah. strategically at given times. Um, yeah. And I think 
you know, even for these dogs that aren't super extra, um, I, I, I think we've seen similar patterns. I know that I do teach, like I, I do a lot with Karen Overall's relaxation protocol and do really like it, but it is when I'm actually getting to the point where I'm being successful with a relaxation protocol, or we've kind of worked through a little bit of stuff, then I find that I do need to wean off of that contingent reinforcement. Mm -hmm. And by contingent reinforcement, I guess for our, our listeners who are not trainers, because I forget sometimes that's our audience, is we mean rewards or treats or whatever that are coming based on what the dog is doing, based on the dog's behavior, versus something like a Kong where they just kind of have it and ho the hope is they're going to flick it until they fall asleep. Yeah, and the pacifier will backfire if you're overusing it too. So if you're always relying on giving the dog a food item to have, you can easily teach them to be in a crate and be fine in a crate if they are eating. Yeah. Um, and otherwise not. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So do you recommend then, you know, I, like, again, the hope is that they're actually going to eat until they fall asleep and then you release them later, later, but say you've got, I, I'm sure, I know I've heard this many times and I'm sure you have as well. You know, the puppy is fine as long as he's eating. And then as soon as he's done eating, he's fussing. How do you kind of work through or help people through that particular situation? So I, number one, try to make sure that I am putting them in a crate when they're tired without a pacifier plenty of times. So when I say there's always something in there, it's not necessarily going to be something that's so enticing that they are definitely going to eat it if they don't want to be in the crate. So mm -hmm. it's something like a nylobone or a benabone or like a toy. Like it's not necessarily always a meal or something that they definitely will eat. Um, mm -hmm. And I just make sure that I'm doing that plenty of plenty, plenty of times out of the total times that they're going in the crate. And I will also layer in my alone time kinds of approximations when they don't have a pacifier. So like right now I would say Rhea doesn't have a pacifier. She has Disneyland. She's got plenty of things in there. But she doesn't have a food item that's going to distract her from the fact that I leave this room. If I walked out of this room, she'd be very aware of it. Um, yeah. And so making sure that some of the time they're expected to be in there without something that is so enticing that it's distracting, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And yeah, I've certainly noticed the same. Like I have a, Niffler has an, a water buffalo horn that he's quite mm -hmm. into. And you know, he's not going to always chew on that or chew on it for hours the way that like right. a Kong or a Topple will always capture his attention. Um, right. But he's got the option if he's frustrated or upset right. um, to, to right. take it out on, on something. Yeah. Um, or yeah, if he's just not sleepy, he's got, he's got a hobby to entertain himself with. And um, one of the other things I think that I've found a little, I've been thinking about a lot, because as you probably can hear, and hopefully our listeners can't too much, is I have a somewhat vocal puppy um, who does quite a bit of talking to himself as he eats. I've talked to all of his, we have like a, you know, a little Facebook group for all of the, the litter mates and like all of them. It's just like, oh my gosh, yeah, they bark when they run, they bark when they, they bark in their sleep, they whine while they eat. Um, so how do you help people work through differentiating between, you know, a little bit of like whimpering while they're eating or, you know, they're just whimpering a little bit while you're watching TV or something versus like a full on like, okay, the puppy is panicking. We're, we need to let them out and change the situation. How do you handle like vocalization? You know, I think often, and I think I'm wrong. So this is a mistake <laughs> that I've made that everybody can tell the difference between panic vocalization uh -huh. and, and not. I think most people, if presented with two different audio clips and asked which one of these is a panicking puppy, could tell you the right answer. Mm -hmm. But we are hardwired um, to respond to the distress vocalizations of baby animals. And they 
that's why they come programmed with those distress vocalizations as well. <laughs> um, and so the first thing I'll say is that something that um, Milena Martini said when I had her on my podcast talking about separation anxiety is that there is no hierarchy of pain. So it's not necessarily that um, this level of distress is fine because it's not that bad. And this level of distress is not fine because it is that bad. Mm-hmm. So what I tell people is, first of all, if they're just kind of talking while they're doing something else, I have zero concern about that. Like yeah. sometimes she will growl at her tug toy in here or like have a little bark while she's weaving through the LaCroix box or whatever. Um, <laughs> that is something that I just don't worry about. Fussing. Which, I mean, I could, like, mimic it right now, but that's that's obnoxious. Um, Little, like, little fussy whimpers when I first put her in there that's almost like, I don't want to be in here, right? Like, it it sounds a little bit like the kid in the grocery store that is tired, but, you know, wants the lollipop or whatever, and they're like, I think we've all witnessed that at, you know, a Thanksgiving or Christmas at some point. Yeah, for sure. And... So for that, I am likely, I'm going to respond to it. I'm not necessarily going to ignore it still, but I am not going to respond in the way that the puppy is asking me to. So this is how I, this is really how I um, respond to any unwanted vocalization that seems to be directed at me. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Like people like the phrase demand barking, for instance, um, any distress vocalization that is directed at me, I respond to and I respond to it incorrectly, (laughs) meaning I am not going to ignore you, but I am not going to give you what I know you want either. This actually solves it. Ignoring it doesn't. I don't know if you've tried, but it's a nightmare. And, um, I do it the same with the puppy. So if she is, so let's, so for instance, let's say that she, let's say I'm trying to sleep in and I've pottied her. She's been taken care of at 5am, but I would like to stay in bed until seven. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she might fuss and like throw herself around in there and be like, oh, what are we in here right now? And I will just put my fingers through the crate. Mm-hmm. And, um, she was doing that, gosh, she was doing it before. And I don't, I don't remember the specific context, but she was doing it in the crate in, oh, in the kitchen. This is what it was. She's in the crate in the kitchen. And I went over to the table to have dinner with Leslie and she's like, and I got up and I picked up the crate and I carried it over to by the table and I put it down. Mm-hmm. So I sort of gave her what she wanted, which is to be closer to us, but she really wanted to be out. Right. So it's, it's, I am going to respond. You are not going to be left to distress cry yourself to death, Yeah. but you're also not necessarily going to get what you want. And the exception is true panic, which I've not heard yet from this puppy, except for when she got her um, mouth stuck on the bars because she was biting them. Oops. Then she distressed. Then she panicked, and I could yeah. hear it. And I ran in and I saved her. Yeah, because I could hear it. Yeah, yeah and you could tell the I think I think most people. It's like they're screaming. You guys, like they're dying. They're screaming. They're dying. Yeah. You will. You will know. So, and if you're not sure, respond, but in, a, in not the way that they wanted. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're not sure that their needs have been met, there's not really any harm in taking them out for an extra potty break. Um, right, and Shelton said something yeah. uh, recently on the pandemic puppy raising group, and she was the woman. She's the woman who more or less created the group um, that spawned this podcast. And she said, "Your puppy is not going to learn to manufacture pee because you take them out too often." Hundred percent. That's so true. It's so brilliant. It's just like so. Yeah, I will say. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up because if I already pottied her at 5 a.m., something told me she needed to go out at 5 a.m. And it was vocalizing, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm asleep and I wake up to puppy vocalizing, I respond to that in one way only, which is you are put on a leash, you are carried outside, you are put down, and I stand in one spot until you do your thing. 
you do your thing, I pick you back up, I take you back to the crate, and I put you to bed. Every single one of my dogs learns to just let me sleep. It's not something that, because, yeah, I will take you out if you need to relieve yourself. But, like, we're not having a good time. I, we're not playing. I'm, I don't even look at them. And I don't let them walk. I carry them to the space. Um, and, yeah, if you think they might need to go out, definitely take them out. But do not take them out to have, like, a joyride in the backyard if what you need right now is for them to be created while you put the dishes away, right? So leash outside, stand in one spot till they do the thing. Because yeah. they do need to go out pretty frequently. Yeah, and I the, the way that we're talking about this, and we're going to have you know a separate potty training episode and a separate alone time episode, but I wonder how many potty training issues are actually related to people incorrectly understanding cry it out and missing mm. a puppy who is fussing a little bit because that puppy genuinely needs to go out. Um, Totally. I think, I think it's really possible that it yeah. is producing a lot of problems. I'm really glad you're going to do an episode entirely on that because it feels like a no brainer if you've raised a lot of puppies. Yeah. But if you haven't, it is not a, a lot of it's not intuitive. And it's, right. it can, well, especially it can there's really the advice of ignoring them when they're vocalizing <laughs> at you is so pervasive. Like it does, does not fit yeah. with take them out when they need to go out and actually encourage them to tell you. Yeah. No, I mean, my older dog does not tell me when he needs to go out. Um, and I really wish he would. Um, I've gotten <laughs> now good at, he will, he paces in stress pants if he needs to go out in the middle of the night mm. and I'm a pretty light sleeper so I can catch that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten up and let the dog out at 3 a.m. And I've come back to a boyfriend who's been like, what was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> You've been strained to hear it. Yeah, because otherwise yeah. I have diarrhea on the floor. Um, yeah. and that very aversive to me. <laughs> Extremely aversive. And good Lord, I wish he would just whine at the door. Don't you? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like You want them. My dogs through that process of I will escort you out immediately when you whine in the night learn to whine and they it wakes me up right away and I take them out right like now I know beyond a shadow of a doubt if one of my adults whines at me in the night I better get up they gotta go out yeah is not another reason ever yeah, yeah. and puppies might experiment with it a little bit to see what mm -hmm. they can get by especially going out if you, especially if you let them have a good time when you take yeah. them out <laughs> But if, well, yeah. And then if, if you're consistent, so, you know, say you've been messing this up and now you're listening to us and you're like, okay, gosh, I'm going to try what Sarah said and we're going to go out and we're going to stand in one spot. It might take a couple tries, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but that's okay. Um, you'll, you'll get there. Probably take as many tries at least as the number of times you've already done it another way. So if you've been doing it another way for two weeks, it's going to take you another two weeks. So just keep trying, keep, keep at it. Yeah. All right. So we have to wrap it up here. Um, I know that you have a ton of more great stuff to say about crate training. So we'll make sure to link to um, your happy crating course in the show notes. And anyone who's interested in getting more can just go ahead and pay for your time there. Um, so in the meantime, where can people find you online if they want to find out anything else about you? And again, obviously, we'll link in the show notes. Yeah. And, um, the happy creating course is a self-study course. So you buy it and you take it and, um, it isn't with feedback from me, but I'm always happy to, if you run into a problem with it, just send me an email, which you can find through my website, which is the cognitive canine.com. Mm -hmm. I'm also on Facebook at the cognitive canine. Um, it's facebook.com slash the cognitive canine and cog dog radio is my podcast, which you can also find on Facebook, which is, I'm pretty sure it's facebook.com slash radio. And then, and of course, both things are on my website. And mm -hmm. I recently joined TikTok, which I'm enjoying. So I'm on Instagram at cognitive underscore, underscore canine. And TikTok is just my name at Sarah Streming. And you're on TikTok too. And it's, we're going to take over TikTok with positive training because there's a lot oh of garbage God. on there. Yeah. Yeah, there is. Um, but it's been fun. I, one of my goals for this weekend is to just do all this stupid, like I've got to stick songs with Barley. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, I really check all, check all the dumb boxes and then I'll be yes, more yes. creative. For sure. Um, 
So yeah, thank you guys again for listening. You can find us at journeydogtraining.com slash pandemic puppy. Um, over the next couple episodes, we're covering lessons from service dog raising with Matthias Lenz, who is with the IABC. We're covering developmental stages from the creator of puppy culture, self-regulation skills with Curtis Kelly. We've got a ton of amazing episodes coming up. Um, so make sure you guys subscribe, review, and all of that good stuff wherever you're listening. You can also join the Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. Um, join that free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. And you're just, we're, we're bombarding you with tons of free information. But if you ever need anything more, you can find Sarah over at cognitivecanine.com or me at journeydogtraining.com. Thanks again for listening, guys.